Section 4 of Father Goriot by Honoré Balzac Translated by Ellen Marriage This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 4 The audacity of the student's answer interested the Vicomtesse in him. The southern brain was beginning to scheme for the first time. Between Madame de Rostaud's blue boudoir and Madame de Beauzeant's rose-coloured drawing-room he had made a three years advance in a kind of law which is not a recognised study in paris although it is a sort of higher jurisprudence and when well understood is a high road to success of every kind ah that is what i meant to say said eugene i met madame de rostaud at your ball and this morning i went to see her you must have been very much in the way said madame de beauseant smiling as she spoke yes indeed i am a novice and my blunders will set every one against me if you do not give me your counsel i believe that in paris it is very difficult to meet with a young beautiful and wealthy woman of fashion who would be willing to teach me what you women can explain so well life I shall find a Monsieur de Trailles everywhere, so I have come to ask you to give me a key to a puzzle, to entreat you to tell me what sort of blunder I made this morning. I mentioned an old man, Madame la Duchesse de Longuier. Jacques cut the student short. Eugene gave expression to his intense annoyance by a gesture. If you mean to succeed, said the Vicomtesse in a low voice, in the first place you must not be so demonstrative. Ah, good morning, dear, she continued, and rising and crossing the room, she grasped the Duchess's hand as affectionately as if they had been sisters. The Duchess responded in the prettiest and most gracious way. Two intimate friends, said Rastignac to himself henceforward i shall have two protectresses those two women are great friends no doubt and this newcomer will doubtless interest herself in her friend's cousin to what happy inspiration do i owe this piece of good fortune dear antoinette asked madame de beauseant well i saw monsieur d'agedeau pinto at monsieur de rochefide's door so i thought that if i came i should find you alone madame de beauseant's mouth did not tighten her colour did not rise her expression did not alter or rather her brow seemed to clear as the duchess uttered those deadly words if i had known that you were engaged the speaker added glancing at eugene this gentleman is monsieur eugene de rasignac one of my cousins said the vicomtesse have you any news of general de montriveau she continued cerise told me yesterday that he never goes anywhere now has he been to see you to-day it was believed that the duchess was desperately in love with monsieur de montriveau and that he was a faithless lover she felt the question in her very heart and her face flushed as she answered he was at the elysee yesterday in attendance claire returned the duchess and hatred overflowed in the glances she threw at madame de beauseant of course you know that monsieur d'agedo pinto is going to marry mademoiselle de rochefide the bans will be published to-morrow thrust was too cruel the vicomtesse's face grew white but she answered laughing one of those rumours that fools amuse themselves with what should induce monsieur d'agida to take one of the noblest names in portugal to the rochefide the rochefide were only ennobled yesterday but bertha will have two hundred thousand livres a year they say monsieur d'agida is too wealthy to marry for money but my dear mademoiselle de rochefide is a charming girl indeed and as a matter of fact he is dining with them to-day the thing is settled it is very surprising to me that you should know so little about it 
Madame de Beauzion turned to Rastignac. "'What was the blunder that you made, monsieur?' she asked. "'The poor boy is only just launched into the world, Antoinette, so that he understands nothing of all this that we are speaking of. Be merciful to him, and let us finish our talk to-morrow. Everything will be announced to-morrow, you know, and your kind informal communication can be accompanied by official confirmation.' the duchess gave eugene one of those insolent glances that measure a man from head to foot and leave him crushed and annihilated madame i have unwittingly plunged a dagger into madame restaud's heart unwittingly therein lies my offence said the student of law whose keen brain had served him sufficiently well for he had detected the biting epigrams that lurked beneath this friendly talk you continue to receive possibly you fear those who know the amount of pain that they deliberately inflict but a clumsy blunderer who has no idea how deeply he wounds is looked upon as a fool who does not know how to make use of his opportunities and every one despises him madame de beauzion gave the student a glance one of those glances in which a great soul can mingle dignity and gratitude it was like balm to the law student who was still smarting under the duchess's insolent scrutiny she had looked at him as an auctioneer might look at some article to appraise its value imagine too that i had just made some progress with the comte de rostaud for i should tell you madame he went on turning to the duchess with a mixture of humility and malice in his manner that as yet i am only a poor devil of a student very much alone in the world and very poor you should not tell us that monsieur de rastignac women never care about anything that no one else will take bah said eugene i am only two and twenty and i must make up my mind to the drawbacks of my time of life besides i am confessing my sins and it would be impossible to kneel in a more charming confessional you commit your sins in one drawing-room and receive absolution from them in another the duchess's expression grew colder she did not like the flippant tone of these remarks and showed that she considered them to be in bad taste by turning to the vicomtesse with this gentleman has only just come madame de beauzion began to laugh outright at her cousin and at the duchess both he has only just come to paris dear and is in search of some one who will give him lessons in good taste madame la duchesse said eugene is it not natural to wish to be initiated into the mysteries which charm us come now he said to himself my language is superfinely elegant i'm sure but madame de rostaud is herself i believe monsieur de troyes pupil said the duchess of that i have no idea madame answered the law student so i rashly came between them in fact i got on very well with the lady's husband and his wife tolerated me for a time until i took it into my head to tell them that i knew some one of whom i had just caught a glimpse as he went out by the back staircase a man who had given the countess a kiss at the end of a passage who was it both women asked together an old man who lives at the rate of two louis a month in the faubourg saint marceau where i a poor student lodge likewise he is a truly unfortunate creature everybody laughs at him we call him father goriot why child that you are cried the vicomtesse madame de rostaud was mademoiselle goriot the daughter of a vermicelli manufacturer the duchess added and when the little creature went to court the daughter of a pastry cook was presented on the same day do you remember claire the king began to laugh and made some joke in latin about flour people what was it people a eustem farione said eugene yes that was it said the duchess oh is that her father the law student continued aghast yes certainly 
the old man had two daughters he dotes on them so to speak though they will scarcely acknowledge him didn't the second daughter marry a banker with a german name the vicomtesse asked turning to madame de longuet a baron de nucigen and her name is delphine is it not isn't she a fair-haired woman who has a side-box at the opera she comes sometimes to the bouffon and laughs loudly to attract attention the duchess smiled and said i wonder at you dear why do you take so much interest in people of that kind one must have been as madly in love as Rostow was to be infatuated with mademoiselle anastasie and her flour sacks oh he will not find her a good bargain she is in monsieur de Troyes' hands and he will ruin her and they do not acknowledge their father eugene repeated oh well yes their father the father a father replied the vicomtesse a kind father who gave them each five or six hundred thousand francs it is said to secure their happiness by marrying them well while he only kept eight or ten thousand livres a year for himself thinking that his daughters would always be his daughters thinking that in them he would live his life twice over again that in their houses he should find two homes where he would be loved and looked up to and made much of and in two years time both his sons-in-law had turned him out of their houses as if he were one of the lowest outcasts tears came into eugene's eyes he was still under the spell of youthful beliefs he had just left home pure and sacred feelings had been stirred within him and this was his first day on the battlefield of civilization in paris genuine feeling is so infectious that for a moment the three looked at each other in silence eh mon dieu cried madame de Longuier yes it seems very horrible and yet we see such things every day is there not a reason for it tell me dear have you ever really thought what a son-in-law is a son-in-law is the man for whom we bring up you and i a dear little one bound to us very closely in innumerable ways for seventeen years she will be the joy of her family its white soul as lamartine says and suddenly she will become its scourge when he comes and takes her from us his love from the very beginning is like an axe laid to the root of all the old affection in our darling's heart and all the ties that bound her to her family are severed but yesterday our little daughter thought of no one but her mother and father as we had no thought that was not for her by to-morrow she will have become a hostile stranger the tragedy is always going on under our eyes on the one hand you see a father who has sacrificed himself to his son and his daughter-in-law shows him the last degree of insolence on the other hand it is the son-in-law who turns his wife's mother out of the house i sometimes hear it said that there is nothing dramatic about society in these days but the drama of the son-in-law is appalling to say nothing of our marriages which have come to be very poor farces i can explain how it all came about in the old vermicelli maker's case i think i recollect that fourier goriot madame yes that moriot was once president of the section during the revolution he was in the secret of the famous scarcity of grain and laid the foundation of his fortune in those days by selling flour for ten times its cost he had as much flour as he wanted my grandmother's steward sold him immense quantities no doubt noriot shared the plunder with the committee of public salvation as that sort of person always did i recollect the steward telling my grandmother that she might live at granvilliers in complete security because her corn was as good as a certificate of civism well then this loriot who sold corn to those butchers has never had but one passion they say he idolizes his daughters he settled one of them under restaud's roof and 
grafted the other onto the Nucigen family tree, the Baron de Nucigen being a rich banker who had turned royalist. You can quite understand that so long as Bonaparte was emperor, the two sons-in-law could manage to put up with the old ninety-three, but after the restoration of the Bourbons, Monsieur de Rostaud felt bored by the old man's society, and the banker was still more tired of it. His daughters were still fond of him. They wanted to keep the goat and the cabbage, so they used to see Joriot whenever there was no one there under pretense of affection. Come to-day, Papa. We shall have you all to ourselves, and that will be much nicer, and all that sort of thing. As for me, dear, I believe that love has second sight. Poor ninety-three. His heart must have bled. He saw that his daughters were ashamed of him, that if they loved their husbands his visits must make mischief. So he immolated himself. He made the sacrifice because he was a father. He went into voluntary exile. His daughters were satisfied, so he thought he had done the best thing he could. But it was a family crime, and the father and daughters were accomplices. You see this sort of thing everywhere. What could this old Doriot have been but a splash of mud in his daughter's drawing-rooms? He would only have been in the way and bored other people, besides being bored himself. And this that happened between father and daughters may happen to the prettiest woman in Paris, and the man she loves the best. If her love grows tiresome, he will go. He will descend to the basest trickery to leave her. It is the same with all love and friendship. Our heart is a treasury. If you pour out all its wealth, at once you are bankrupt. We show no more mercy to the affection that reveals its utmost extent than we do to another kind of prodigal who has not a penny left. Their father has given them all he had. For twenty years he had given his whole heart to them, then one day he gave them all his fortune too. The lemon was squeezed. The girls left the rest in the gutter. The world is very base, said the Vicomtesse, plucking at the threads of her shawl. She did not raise her head as she spoke. The words that Madame de Longuier had meant for her in the course of her story had cut her to the quick. Base? Oh, no! answered the duchesse the world goes its own way that is all if i speak in this way it is only to show that i am not duped by it i think as you do she said pressing the vicomtesse's hand the world is a sloth let us try to live on the heights above it she rose to her feet and kissed madame de beauseant on the forehead as she said you look very charming to-day dear I have never seen such a lovely color in your cheeks before. Then she went out with a slight inclination of the head to the cousin. Father Goriot is sublime, said Eugene to himself, as he remembered how he had watched his neighbor work the silver vessel into a shapeless mass that night. Madame de Beauseant did not hear him. She was absorbed in her own thoughts. For several minutes the silence remained unbroken, till the law student became almost paralyzed with embarrassment, and was equally afraid to go or stay or speak a word. The world is basely ungrateful and ill-natured, said the Vicomtesse at last. No sooner does a trouble befall you than a friend is ready to bring the tidings and to probe your heart with the point of a dagger while calling on you to admire the handle epigrams and sarcasms already ah i will defend myself she raised her head like the great lady that she was and lightnings flashed from her proud eyes ah she said as she saw eugene are you there still he said piteously well then monsieur de resignac deal with the world as it deserves you are determined to succeed i will help you you shall sound the depths of corruption in woman you shall measure the extent of man's pitiful vanity deeply as i am versed in such learning there were pages in the book of life that i had not read 
now i know all the more cold-blooded your calculations the further you will go strike ruthlessly you will be feared men and women for you must be nothing more than post-horses take a fresh relay and leave to the last to drop by the roadside in this way you will reach the goal of your ambition you will be nothing here you see unless a woman interests herself in you and she must be young and wealthy and a woman of the world yet if you have a heart lock it carefully away like a treasure do not let any one suspect it or you will be lost you would cease to be the executioner you would take the victim's place and if ever you should love never let your secret escape you trust no one until you are very sure of the heart to which you open your heart learn to mistrust every one take every precaution for the sake of the love which does not exist as yet listen miguel the name slipped from her so naturally that she did not notice her mistake there is something still more appalling than the ingratitude of daughters who have cast off their old father and wish that he were dead and that is a rivalry between two sisters restaud comes of a good family his wife has been received into their circle she has been presented at court and her sister her wealthy sister madame delphine de nucigen the wife of a great capitalist is consumed with envy and ready to die of spleen there is gulf set between the sisters indeed they are sisters no longer the two women who refuse to acknowledge their father do not acknowledge each other so madame de nucigen would lap up all the mud that lies between the rue saint lazare and the rue saint grenelle to gain admittance to my salon she fancied that she would gain her end through de marsay she has made herself de marsay's slave and she bores him de marsay cares very little about her if you will introduce her to me you will be her darling her benjamin she will idolize you if after that you can love her do so if not make her useful i will ask her to come once or twice to one of my great crushes but i will never receive her here in the morning i will bow to her when i see her and that will be quite sufficient you have shut the comtesse de rostaud's door against you by mentioning father goriot's name yes my good friend you may call at her house twenty times and every time out of the twenty you will find that she is not at home the servants have their orders and will not admit you very well then now let father goriot gain the right of entry into her sister's house for you the beautiful madame de nuncigen will give the signal for a battle as soon as she singles you out other women will begin to lose their heads about you and her enemies and rivals and intimate friends will all try to take you from her there are women who will fall in love with a man because another woman has chosen him like the city madams poor things who copy our millinery and hope thereby to acquire our manners you will have a success and in paris success is everything it is the key to power if the women credit you with wit and talent the men will follow suit so long as you do not undeceive them yourself there will be nothing you may not aspire to you will go everywhere and you will find out what the world is an assemblage of fools and knaves but you must be neither the one nor the other i am giving you my name like ariadne's clue of thread to take with you into the labyrinth make no unworthy use of it she said with a queenly glance and curve of her throat give it back to me unsullied and now go leave me we women also have our battles to fight and if you should ever need someone who would gladly set a match to a train for you well she asked he tapped his heart smiled in answer to his cousin's smile and went it was five o'clock and eugene was hungry 
he was afraid lest he should not be in time for dinner a misgiving which made him feel that it was pleasant to be borne so quickly across paris this sensation of physical comfort left his mind free to grapple with the thoughts that assailed him a mortification usually sends a young man of his age into a furious rage he shakes his fist at society and vows vengeance when his belief in himself is shaken just then rastignac was overwhelmed by the words you have shut the countess's door against you i shall call he said to himself and if madame de beauseant is right if i never find her at home i well madame de rostaud shall meet me in every salon in paris i will learn to fence and have some pistol practice and kill that maxime of hers and money cried an inward monitor how about money where is that to come from and all at once the wealth displayed in the comtesse de rostaud's drawing-room rose before his eyes that was the luxury which goriot's daughter had loved too well the gilding the ostentatious splendour the unintelligent luxury of the parvenu the riotous extravagance of a courtesan then the attractive vision suddenly went under an eclipse as he remembered the stately grandeur of the hotel de beauseant as his fancy wandered among these lofty regions in the great world of paris innumerable dark thoughts gathered in his heart his ideas widened and his conscience grew more elastic he saw the world as it is saw how the rich lived beyond the jurisdiction of law and public opinion and found in success the ultima ratio mundi vautrin is right success is virtue he said to himself arrived in the rue neuvre st genevieve he rushed up to his room for ten francs wherewith to satisfy the demands of the cabman and went in to dinner he glanced round the squalid room saw the eighteen poverty-stricken creatures about to feed like cattle in their stalls and the sight filled him with loathing the transition was too sudden and the contrast was so violent that it could not but act as a powerful stimulant his ambition developed and grew beyond all social bounds on the one hand he beheld a vision of social life in its most charming and refined forms of quick-pulsed youth of fair impassioned faces invested with all the charm of poetry famed in a marvellous setting of luxury or art on the other hand he saw a sombre picture the miry verge beyond these faces in which passion was extinct and nothing was left of the drama but the cords and pulleys and bare mechanism madame de beauseant's counsels the words uttered in anger by the forsaken lady her petulant offer came to his mind and poverty was a ready expositor rastignac determined to open two parallel trenches so as to ensure success he would be a learned doctor of law and a man of fashion clearly he was still a child those two lines are asymptotes and will never meet you are very dull my lord marquis said vautrin with one of the shrewd glances that seemed to read the innermost secrets of another mind i am not in the humour to stand jokes from people who call me my lord marquis answered eugene a marquis here in paris if he is not the veriest sham ought to have a hundred thousand livres a year at least and a lodger in maison vacue is not exactly fortune's favourite vautrin's glance at rastignac was half paternal half contemptuous puppy it seemed to say i should make one mouthful of him then he answered you are in a bad humour perhaps your visit to the beautiful comtesse de restaud was not a success she has shut her door against me because i told her that her father dined at our table cried rastignac glances were exchanged all round the room father goriot looked down 
"'You have sent some snuff into my eye,' he said to his neighbour, turning a little aside to rub his hand over his face. "'Anyone who molests Father Goriot will have henceforward to reckon with me,' said Eugene, looking at the old man's neighbour. "'He is worth all the rest of us put together. I am not speaking of the ladies.' he added, turning in the direction of Mademoiselle Telefay. Eugene's remarks produced a sensation, and his tone silenced the dinner-table. Motrin alone spoke. "'If you are going to champion Father Goriot and set up for his responsible editor into the bargain, you had neat be a crack-shot and know how to handle the foils,' he said banteringly. "'So I intend,' said Eugene." then you are taking the field to-day perhaps rastignac answered but i owe no account of myself to anyone especially as i do not try to find out what other people do of a night vautrin looked askance at rastignac if you do not mean to be deceived by the puppets my boy you must go behind and see the whole show and not peep through holes in the curtain that is enough he added seeing that eugene was about to fly into a passion we can have a little talk whenever you like there was a general feeling of gloom and constraint father goriot was so deeply dejected by the student's remark that he did not notice the change in the disposition of his fellow-lodgers nor know that he had met with a champion capable of putting an end to the persecution then monsieur goriot sitting there is the father of a countesse said madame vacour in a low voice and of a baroness answered rastignac that is about all he is capable of said biancon to rastignac i have taken a look at his head there is only one bump the bump of paternity he must be an eternal father eugene was too intent on his thoughts to laugh at biancon's joke he determined to profit by mademoiselle de beauseant's counsel and was asking himself how he could obtain the necessary money he grew grave the wide savannas of the world stretched before his eyes all things lay before him nothing was his dinner came to an end the others went and he was left in the dining-room so you have seen my daughter goriot said tremulously and the sound of his voice broke in upon eugene's dreams the young man took the elder's hand and looked at him with something like kindness in his eyes you are a good and noble man he said we will have some talk about your daughters by and by he rose without waiting for goriot's answer and went to his room there he wrote the following letter to his mother my dear mother can you nourish your child from your breast again i am in a position to make a rapid fortune but i want twelve hundred francs i must have them at all costs say nothing about this to my father perhaps he might make objections and unless i have the money i may be led to put an end to myself and to escape the clutches of despair i will tell you everything when i see you i will not begin to try to describe my present situation it would take volumes to put the whole story clearly and fully i have not been gambling my kind mother i owe no one a penny but if you would preserve the life that you gave me you must send me the sum i mention as a matter of fact i go to see the vicomtesse de beauseant she is using her influence for me i am obliged to go into society i have not a penny to lay out on clean gloves i can manage to exist on bread and water or go without food if need be but i cannot do without the tools with which they cultivate the vineyards in this country i must resolutely make up my mind at once to make my way or stick in the mire for the rest of my days i know that all your hopes are set on me and i want to realize them quickly sell some of your old jewelry my kind mother i will give you other jewels very soon I know enough of our affairs at home to know all that such a sacrifice means, and you must not think that I would lightly ask you to make it. I should be a monster if I could. You must think of 
my entreaty as a cry forced from me by imperative necessity our whole future lies in the subsidy with which i must begin my first campaign for life in paris is one continual battle if you cannot otherwise procure the whole of the money and are forced to sell our aunt's lace tell her that i will send her some still handsomer and so forth he wrote to ask each of his sisters for their savings would they despoil themselves for him and keep the sacrifice a secret from the family to his request he knew that they would not fail to respond gladly and he added to it an appeal to their delicacy by touching the chord of honour that vibrates so loudly in young and high-strung natures yet when he had written the letters he could not help feeling misgivings in spite of his youthful ambition his heart beat fast and he trembled he knew the spotless nobleness of the lives buried away in the lonely manor-house he knew what trouble and what joy his request would cause his sisters and how happy they would be as they talked at the bottom of the orchard of that dear brother of theirs in paris visions rose before his eyes a sudden strong light revealed his sisters secretly counting over their little store devising some girlish stratagem by which the money could be sent to him incognito essaying for the first time in their lives a piece of deceit that reached the sublime in its unselfishness a sister's heart is a diamond for purity a deep sea of tenderness he said to himself he felt ashamed of those letters what power there must be in the petitions put up by such hearts how pure the fervour that bears their souls to heaven in prayer what exquisite joy they would find in self-sacrifice what a pang for his mother's heart if she could not send him all that he asked for and this noble affection these sacrifices made at such terrible cost were to serve as the ladder by which he meant to climb to delphine de nucigen a few tears like the last grains of incense flung upon the sacred altar fire of the hearth fell from his eyes he walked up and down and despair mingled with his emotions father goriot saw him through the half-open door what is the matter sir he asked from the threshold ah my good neighbour i am as much a son and brother as you are a father you do well to fear for the comtesse anastasie there is one monsieur maxime de Troyes who will be her ruin father goriot withdrew stammering some words but eugene failed to catch their meaning the next morning rastignac went out to post his letters up to the last moment he wavered and doubted but he ended by flinging them into the box i shall succeed he said to himself so says the gambler so says the great captain but the three words that have been the salvation of some few have been the ruin of many more a few days after this eugene called at madame de rostaud's house she was not at home three times he tried the experiment and three times he found her doors closed against him though he was careful to choose an hour when monsieur de Troyes was not there the vicomtesse was right the student studied no longer he put in an appearance at lectures simply to answer to his name and after thus attesting his presence departed forthwith he had been through a reasoning process familiar to most students he had seen the advisability of deferring his studies to the last moment before going up for his examinations he made up his mind to cram his second and third year's work into the third year when he meant to begin to work in earnest and to complete his studies in law with one great effort in the meantime he had fifteen months in which to navigate the ocean of paris to spread the nets and set the lines that would bring him a protectress and a fortune twice during that week he saw madame de beauseant he did not go to her house until he had seen the marquis 
d'ajuda drive away victory for yet a few more days was with the great lady the most poetic figure in the faubourg saint germain and the marriage of the marquis d'ajudo pinto with mademoiselle de rochefide was postponed the dread of losing her happiness filled those days with a fever of joy unknown before but the end was only so much the nearer the marquis d'ajuda and the rochefide agreed that this quarrel and reconciliation was a very fortunate thing madame de beauseant so they hoped would gradually become reconciled to the idea of marriage and in the end would be brought to sacrifice d'ajuda's morning visits to the exigencies of a man's career exigencies which she must have foreseen in spite of the most solemn promises daily renewed m d'ajuda was playing a part and the vicomtesse was eager to be deceived instead of taking a leap heroically from the window she is falling headlong down the staircase said her most intimate friend the duchesse de longuiers yet this afterglow of happiness lasted long enough for the vicomtesse to be of service to her young cousin she had a half superstitious affection for him eugene had shown her sympathy and devotion at a crisis when the woman sees no pity no real comfort in any eyes when if a man is ready with soothing flatteries it is because he has an interested motive rastignac made up his mind that he must learn the whole of goriot's previous history he would come to his bearings before attempting to board the maison de nucigen the results of his inquiries may be given briefly as follows in the days before the revolution jean joachim goriot was simply a workman in the employ of a vermicelli maker he was a skilful thrifty workman sufficiently enterprising to buy his master's business when the latter fell a chance victim to the disturbances of seventeen eighty nine goriot established himself in the rue de la Jusienne, close to the corn exchange his plain good sense led him to accept the position of president of the section so as to secure for his business the protection of those in power at that dangerous epoch this prudent step had led to success the foundations of his fortune were laid in the time of the scarcity real or artificial when the price of grain of all kinds rose enormously in paris people used to fight for bread at the baker's doors while other persons went to the grocer's shops and bought italian paste foods without brawling over it it was during this year that goriot made the money which at a later time was to give him all the advantage of the great capitalist over the small buyer he had moreover the usual luck of average ability his mediocrity was the salvation of him he excited no one's envy it was not even suspected that he was rich till the peril of being rich was over and all his intelligence was concentrated not on political but on commercial speculations goriot was an authority second to none on all questions relating to corn flour and middlings and the production storage and quality of grain he could estimate the yield of the harvest and foresee market prices he bought his cereals in sicily and imported russian wheat any one who had heard him hold forth on the regulations that control the importation and exportation of grain who had seen his grasp of the subject his clear insight into the principles involved his appreciation of weak points in the way that the system worked would have thought that this was the stuff of which a minister is made patient active and persevering energetic and prompt in action he surveyed his business horizon with an eagle eye nothing there took him by surprise he foresaw all things knew all that was happening and kept his own counsel 
he was a diplomatist in his quick comprehension of a situation and in the routine of business he was as patient and plodding as a soldier on the march but beyond this business horizon he could not see he used to spend his hours of leisure on the threshold of his shop leaning against the framework of the door take him from his dark little counting-house and he became once more the rough slow-witted workman a man who cannot understand a piece of reasoning who is indifferent to all intellectual pleasures and falls asleep at the play a parisien de le bon, in short against whose stupidity other minds are powerless natures of this kind are nearly all alike in almost all of them you will find some hidden depth of sublime affection two all-absorbing affections filled the vermicelli maker's heart to the exclusion of every other feeling into them he seemed to put all the forces of his nature as he put the whole power of his brain into the corn trade he had regarded his wife the only daughter of a rich farmer of labrie with a devout admiration his love for her had been boundless goriot had felt the charm of a lovely and sensitive nature which in its delicate strength was the very opposite of his own is there any instinct more deeply implanted in the heart of man than the pride of protection a protection which is constantly exerted for a fragile and defenceless creature join love thereto the warmth of gratitude that all generous souls feel for the source of their pleasures and you have the explanation of many strange incongruities in human nature after seven years of unclouded happiness goriot lost his wife it was very unfortunate for him she was beginning to gain an ascendancy over him in other ways possibly she might have brought that barren soil under cultivation she might have widened his ideas and given other directions to his thoughts but when she was dead the instinct of fatherhood developed in him till it almost became a mania all the affection balked by death seemed to turn to his daughters and he found full satisfaction for his heart in loving them more or less brilliant proposals were made to him from time to time wealthy merchants or farmers with daughters vied with each other in offering inducements to him to marry again but he determined to remain a widower his father-in-law the only man for whom he felt a decided friendship gave out that goriot had made a vow to be faithful to his wife's memory the frequenters of the corn exchange who could not comprehend this sublime piece of folly joked about it among themselves and found a ridiculous name for him one of them ventured after a glass over a bargain to call him by it and a blow from the vermicelli maker's fist sent him headlong into a gutter in the rue Aublin. he could think of nothing else when his children were concerned his love for them made him fidgety and anxious and this was so well known that one day a competitor who wished to get rid of him to secure the field to himself told goriot that delphine had just been knocked down by a cab the vermicelli maker turned ghastly pale left the exchange at once and did not return for several days afterwards he was ill in consequence of the shock and the subsequent relief on discovering that it was a false alarm this time however the offender did not escape with a bruised shoulder at a critical moment in the man's affairs goriot drove him into bankruptcy and forced him to disappear from the corn exchange as might have been expected the two girls were spoiled with an income of sixty thousand francs goriot scarcely spent twelve hundred on himself and found all his happiness in satisfying the whims of the two girls the best masters were engaged that anastasie and delphine might be endowed with all the accomplishments which distinguish a good education 
they had a chaperone luckily for them she was a woman who had good sense and good taste they learned to ride they had a carriage for their use they lived as the mistress of a rich lord might live they had only to express a wish their father would hasten to give them their most extravagant desires and asked nothing of them in return but a kiss goriot had raised the two girls to the level of the angels and quite naturally he himself was left beneath them poor man he loved them even for the pain that they gave him when the girls were old enough to be married they were left free to choose for themselves each had half her father's fortune as her dowry and when the comte de restaud came to woo anastasie for her beauty her social aspirations led her to leave her father's house for a more exalted sphere delphine wished for money she married nucingen a banker of german extraction who became a baron of the holy roman empire goriot remained a vermicelli maker as before his daughters and his sons-in-law began to demur they did not like to see him still engaged in trade though his whole life was bound up with his business for five years he stood out against their entreaties then he yielded and consented to retire on the amount realized by the sale of his business and the savings of the last few years it was this capital that madame vauqueur in the early days of his residence with her had calculated would bring in eight or ten thousand livres in a year he had taken refuge in her lodging-house driven there by despair when he knew that his daughters were compelled by their husbands not only to refuse to receive him as an inmate in their houses but even to see him no more except in private this was all the information which rastignac gained from m Mouret, who had purchased goriot's business information which confirmed the duchesse de longuier's suppositions and herewith the preliminary explanation of this obscure but terrible parisian tragedy comes to an end towards the end of the first week in december rastignac received two letters one from his mother and one from his eldest sister his heart beat fast half with fear at the sight of the familiar handwriting those two little scraps of paper contained life or death for his hopes but while he felt a shiver of dread as he remembered their dire poverty at home he knew their love for him so well that he could not help fearing that he was draining their very life-blood his mother's letter ran as follows my dear child i am sending you the money that you asked for make a good use of it even to save your life i could not raise so large a sum a second time without your father's knowledge and there would be trouble about it we should be obliged to mortgage the land it is impossible to judge of the merits of schemes of which i am ignorant but what sort of schemes can they be that you should fear to tell me about them volumes of explanation would not have been needed we mothers can understand at a word and that word would have spared me the anguish of uncertainty i do not know how to hide the painful impression that your letter has made upon me my dear son what can you have felt when you were moved to send this chill of dread through my heart it must have been very painful for you to write the letter that gave me so much pain as i read it to what courses are you committed you are going to appear to be something that you are not and your whole life and success depends upon this you are about to see a society into which you cannot enter without rushing into expense that you cannot afford without losing precious time that is needed for your studies ah my dear eugene believe your mother crooked ways cannot lead to great ends patience and endurance are the two qualities most needed in your position i am not scolding you i do not want any tinge of bitterness to spoil our offering i am only talking like a mother whose trust in you is as great as her foresight for you 
you know the steps that you must take and i for my part know the purity of heart and how good your intentions are so i can say to you without a doubt go forward beloved if i tremble it is because i am a mother but my prayers and blessings will be with you at every step be very careful dear boy you must have a man's prudence for it lies with you to shape the destinies of five others who are dear to you and must look to you yes our fortunes depend upon you and your success is ours we all pray to god to be with you in all that you do your aunt marquillac has been most generous beyond words in this matter she saw at once how it was even down to your gloves but i have a weakness for the eldest she said gaily you must love your aunt very much dear eugene i shall wait till you have succeeded before telling you all that she has done for you or her money would burn your fingers you who are young do not know what it is to part with something that is a piece of your past but what would we not sacrifice for your sakes your aunt says that i am to send you a kiss on the forehead from her and that kiss is to bring you luck again and again she says she would have written you herself the dear kind-hearted woman but she is troubled with the gout in her fingers just now your father is very well the vintage of eighteen nineteen has turned out better than we expected good-bye dear boy i will say nothing about your sisters because laura is writing to you and i must let her have the pleasure of giving you all the home news heaven send that you may succeed oh yes dear eugene you must succeed i have come through you to a knowledge of a pain so sharp that i do not think i could endure it a second time i have come to know what it is to be poor and to long for money for my children's sake there good-bye do not leave us for long without news of you and here at last take a kiss from your mother by the time eugene had finished the letter he was in tears he thought of father goriot crushing his silver keepsake into a shapeless mass before he sold it to meet his daughter's bill of exchange your mother has broken up her jewels for you he said to himself your aunt shed tears over those relics of hers before she sold them for your sake what right have you to heap execrations on anastasie you have followed her example you have selfishly sacrificed others to your own future and she sacrifices her father to her lover and of you too which is the worse he was ready to renounce his attempts he could not bear to take that money the fires of remorse burned in his heart and gave him intolerable pain the generous secret remorse which men seldom take into account when they sit in judgment upon their fellow-men but perhaps the angels in heaven beholding it pardon the criminal whom our justice condemns rastignac opened his sister's letter its simplicity and kindness revived his heart your letter came just at the right time dear brother agathe and i have thought of so many different ways of spending our money that we did not know what to buy with it and now you have come in and like the servant who upset all the watches that belong to the king of spain you have restored harmony for really and truly we did not know which of all the things we wanted we wanted most and we were always quarrelling about it never thinking dear eugene of a way of spending our money which would satisfy us completely agathe jumped for you indeed we have been like two mad things all day to such a prodigious degree as aunt would say that mother said with her severe expression whatever can be the matter with you mademoiselles i think if we had been scolded a little we should have been still better pleased a woman ought to be very glad to suffer for one she loves i however in my inmost soul was doleful and cross in the midst of all my joy i shall make a bad wife i am afraid i am too fond of spending i had 
bought two sashes and a nice little stiletto for piercing eyelet holes in my stays trifles that i really did not want so that i have less than that slow coach agath who is so economical and hoards her money like a magpie she had two hundred francs and i have only one hundred and fifty i am nicely punished i could throw my sash down the well it will be painful to me to wear it now poor dear i have robbed you and agathe was so nice about it she said let us send the three hundred and fifty francs in our two names but i could not help telling you everything just as it happened End of section 4